I'm M. Sutter, better known as Pints and Panels. And I'm Don Tess, better known as the Don of Beer. Welcome to the 26th episode of the All About Beer podcast. Every two weeks, we talk with leading experts and take a deep dive into one topic in beer. Visit allaboutbeer.com and follow us on social media at allaboutbeer. And if you're feeling generous, throw us a few bucks at our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash allaboutbeer to support this show and others. So, Em, you know how we always ask people to give us a five-star review on their favorite podcasting app? Right. And we do it because those reviews really help the algorithms to show the podcast to other beer lovers. Right. And so uh, I want to up the ante on this. If anybody ever sees me in a brewery tap room and shows me their five-star review, I'll buy you a beer. I love that. Then you owe me a beer because I've given the show a five-star review. Awesome. Thank you, Em. Uh, It would be my pleasure. It would be my (laughs) pleasure to buy you a beer. Uh, And it would be my pleasure to buy anybody a beer who gives the star a five show, gives the show a five star (laughs) review. Please don't ding ding us down to four stars for my fumble just there. (laughs) Well, anyway, let's get to the program. Don, what do you know about IP theft? Because you're a lawyer, right? Uh, I used to be a law-talking guy, but I was a corporate finance guy, not really an IP guy. Um, but anyways, I gave that all up to enter the lucrative world of podcast hosting. Um, but I know IP is an issue near and dear to your heart because you're an artist, right? Yes, and it must protect it at all costs. What you create is your identity. And if that gets changed in any way beyond your control, which is extra stressful, believe me, Um, And there are a lot of gray areas, too. So we're going to get into that with our three really awesome guests that are going to talk about trademark, IP, cease and desist, everything legal when it comes to beer. If you'd like to help support the All About Beer podcast, reach out to podcast at allaboutbeer.com. Estrella Galicia is an independent family-owned brewery in Northwest Spain, founded in 1906. Estrella Galicia Cerveza Especial is a world-class lager, brewed using the finest Spanish malts, locally cultivated Galician hops, and the best brewing practices made out of the state-of-the-art facility in Acruña. Recognized around the world for quality and exceptional character, Estrella Galicia is a beer like no other. To learn more about Estrella Galicia, follow them at Estrella Galicia USA on Instagram. Looking for an easy hop sourcing experience? Yakima Valley Hops offers the finest quality hops from right here in our valley and premium growing regions around the world. Get the hops you need when you need them with ultra-fast shipping and awesome customer service. With a full line of liquid hop products and all your favorite varieties, no contracts are needed to brew with the best. Shop now at yakimavalleyhops.com. That's Y-A-K-I-M-A, valleyhops.com. Brian Kubaki is a 2012 graduate of the American Brewers Guild Brewing School, where he took their intensive brewing science and engineering course for breweries and planning. Prior to that, he graduated from Boston Common with a college, excuse me, with a double major in marketing and finance. He has worked in marketing for the New England Patriots, Revolution, and the Lakewood Blue Claws, as well as finance for Major League Baseball and Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines. He has also managed operations for a family business. Brian founded Departed Souls Brewing Company in 2014, which in 2015 opened its doors to become the first brewery in Jersey City, New Jersey since Prohibition and the first brewery on the East Coast to craft gluten-free beer and dedicated equipment, along with traditional glutinous beers. The brewery has won medals at the Great American Beer Festival, World Beer Cup, the Best of Craft Beer Awards, among others. The brewery is now run by Brian's dog, Bogan. Welcome to the show, Brian. 
Thank you very much for having me. So I, this is actually, I believe Don wrote this question, but I, I don't really think so. like. But let's blame each other. Wait, you really? I I <laughs> peed theft adjacent. You didn't write that. I did. did not I write that. It. I think I wrote did. that. That's but so we clever. can blame each other. I'll tell you. <laughs> that was well, so if it's clever, it definitely wasn't me. I'm just very. I read that and I was like, "That's a really good question." I, I write. I will say, I write all my questions. I do all my writing really early in the morning when I just wake up, and so maybe the coffee hit. So I forgot. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> uh, what I know. About I don't know your if the brewery, coffee ever hits me properly. <laughs> I yeah. I don't normally drink coffee till like eight, and I probably wrote these at like seven. I don't know. Anyway, uh, no, we're not here to talk about my sleeping habits. Um. So your brewery leans pretty hard to what I would call IP theft adjacent. So you use what I've seen in your um, hands is that there is an, I would use the word homage and I feel like you would probably use the same. Um, I would use the word parody. Go parody. Parody. Okay. Well, um, yeah. so what changes do you have to do to make sure that, you know, I saw one for the Ninja Turtles and I knew immediately. Not, that's the, the, not the Ninja Turtles, turtles that look sort of like ninjas. Yes. In, well, yes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, the knockoff or whatever. Um, how do you w walk that tightrope? Because you do it often. And that, we that do. yeah, as a brewery owner, I, I, if I were a brewery owner, that would freak me out. Because I just, yeah, you, know, you know, it's something in the mail shows up and I'm like, oh, no, here we go. <laughs> um, you know, I, I like I said, I, I like to call it parody. And I think parody law is something a lot of brewers that um, sort of sort of do the same thing that we do lean on. Um, mm -hmm. and, and the general approach I, I look at when I'm considering a label and, and any references that we're making is, um, you can you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink it. Uh, and that's sort of the way I look at the art is you can you can guide somebody to figuring out what you're paying homage to, but you can't shove it down their throats and and say you know this is blatantly a X beer, a Y beer, a you know whatever the band, the the cartoon or whatever it might be. Um, you know, that that's sort of the way I approach it. And then I try and take a step back, uh, a, a one step further back or maybe a, a quarter of a step further back, depending on how closely I want to do it. Um, you know, and that's sort of the approach that we take. Um, so you're actively you trying know. to stay behind the line. You're you're not actively trying to push the line. Oh, 100 percent. I would say yeah. there's only been um, a handful. I mean. We we've done this for eight years now. We we mm -hmm. a lot of the inspiration behind my brewery, uh, whether that's the beer names, the art, uh, even the decor in our tasting room is sort of um, you know the '80s baby uh, growing up. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a household that uh, was very serious all the time. My father owned a business that we kind of had to be the um prim and proper family and he grew also grew up on a farm so you know our saturday mornings weren't watching uh the cartoons on cbs it was um going and washing the vans or tending door and um, so we didn't really get like your typical childhood and mm -hmm. so a lot of what we do here is about re-embracing that stuff and reminding people that um your childhood isn't something that you have to leave behind when you become an adult and have all these fun responsibilities that we do now. 
Um, and I, I just think there's this sort of Venn diagram where um, craft beer and childhood memories overlap a little bit. And we just like to lean into that. You know, that's that's sort of the, the inspiration here and um, sort of the, the direction I go a lot of times with our art and our beer names. And, uh, you know, we don't want to piss anybody off, right? We're, we're a tiny brewery. We make so little beer. We make so little money off of any batch of beer half the time we're lucky if we break even um you know i think that's part of it is that there there's probably a misconception that we make a fortune doing this and and that's definitely not the case and you know even if even if a brand wanted to come after us and cease and desist us it's like cool you want to you want to share the 500 dollars i made off of this batch of beer like have at it bro <laughs> how much capacity do you do like how small is your space we did about 1,100 barrels last year, um, pretty evenly split between traditional beer and gluten-free beer. Uh, and we've, we've steadily grown every year, but we have not added any cooperage or added any um, fermentation space in four years now. So it's just um, optimization and, and a little bit harder work or getting one extra batch through the through the system uh, each year. Have How you, many? Be- yeah. Oh, go ahead, Don. Oh, I just wanted to ask if you've um, like, yeah, I, and I thank you, Brian, for explaining kind of your philosophy on on parity. But have you uh, spoken to a lawyer about where the line is, and that does that guide you, or is it just your own personal philosophy that I want to stay five steps behind the line, uh, guiding the horse to water, as you say, but not making it drink. Um, do the lawyers that have cease and desist us count as a, <laughs> as a lawyers I've spoken Well, those are to. learning experiences, right? I, I guess that's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, you know, I, I, I went to business school and I took a couple um, business law classes uh, throughout that process. And um, before we were even a brewery, when I was in brewing school back in 2012, um, I had created a blog. Uh, sort of about going through building out the brewing process. And I, I think I only posted like three or four times. Uh, and one of those posts was a picture of a meme printed out and framed on the wall of a different brewery. And uh, a couple of days later, I got a call at work from my mom being like, hey, the um, legal counsel for this other very large international brewery is calling wanting to talk to you what the hell did you do and uh <laughs> you know i had a conversation with this this nice gentleman out in um, chicago but before really diving into it i did consult uh, a friend that is an ip attorney and, and he kind of gave me some guidance on it but um you know there's a lot of general concepts that if you just google this kind of stuff you 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 can kind of see and and that's sort of one of the the really big pain in the butts about being a small business uh, is that is intellectual property law and um, the way intellectual property works whether that's you know whether that's a song whether that's a logo whether that's a cartoon or whatever you might want to call it it's your job as the intellectual property holder to protect and enforce that there's not a you know the, the federal government doesn't do that your state doesn't do that um once you're using it, you have to protect it. And if somebody infringes upon that, it's your job to to report it to the proper people and and contact those people. But once one person does it and you know about it and you choose not to enforce it with them, 
you kind of lose your right to enforce it. And, and we've, we've been on both sides of that, that um, spectrum. Mm-hmm. We have a couple of trademarks here ourselves that we've unfortunately had to enforce upon other breweries and um, mm-hmm. it sucks to do it, but um, you know, you, you do have to protect your brand and your marketing and everything you do. So um, it's just sort of been a lesson uh, learned over not just um, my time in, in brewing, but my, my previous jobs uh, working for a minor league baseball team and, um, uh, dabble in some professional sports leagues. And it's just something we've kind of learned and picked up on. And, um, you know, I also think a lot of people understand it. A lot, a lot of businesses understand it and artists understand it. As long as you go about things the right way, um, you know, they feel what you're doing and understand you're not, you know, rolling in the dough because you made a little subtle reference here or there. Mm. Sorry, am I yeah. interrupted you? Go no, ahead. no, that was a good. I liked that was yeah. That's a that's a very important when you have a trademark. That's you. You need to protect it. So, um, yeah, we many, we have yeah. we have so, the trademark. Um, like I said, we brew traditional beer and regular beer. Um, and I would go so far as to say that some of our beer names I've gone and actually trademarked because I felt that they were things that could be used elsewhere. Mm. Um. You know, our, our flagship uh, gluten-containing beer is a beer called Philosa Rapper, uh, P-H-I-L-O-O-S-O-R-A-P-P-E-R, I think. Um, and it was just something that I felt could genuinely slip into a song lyric or something like that down the road. And so I wanted to protect it. Um, so we got that one. But with our gluten-free beer um, to sort of... Uh, help with the, the branding and the marketplace share that we do both um we trademarked uh we actually own the trademark for the hashtag definitely not gluten free including the hashtag itself before it and um we had a fight for it uh we had to fight the USPTO for it but we did eventually get it um and then over time we saw some other breweries using it uh, as a way to sort of poke fun at gluten free beer and um, you know, we've had to cease and desist mm. them. And it's like, you know, mm. it's not only about protecting ourselves, but it's also about protecting our customer. We don't, you know, we love our gluten-free customers and we don't want to see them. We we don't do it to make fun of them. We do it for product differentiation. Um, you know, and we, uh, you know, we don't want to see somebody bullying our consumer base. Or sure. drinking a beer that is not gluten-free that used your hashtag and have them absolutely yeah 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 absolutely it's you know it's protection in a lot of different ways yeah sorry with uh with what you do and homage slash parody whatever um is label like sending your labels to the ttb uh is that stressful like are they gonna i don't i don't my knowledge of the ttb is okay but i know a lot of people don't know how label um, things go in America or other places. I just I wanted to know if like since you do parody, is the TTB going to be like what are you doing or do they not care? I don't think that's something that's in their realm of consideration. Yeah. Like I don't think that that is their their even in their um, consideration when they're looking at a label. They're looking, you know, at the size, the ABV, the government warning, making sure that yeah. the packaging statements on there properly. Um, I don't think they really dabble in that, but um, because the TTBs, um, you know, anytime you, once you submit something, it's uh, officially published. People, the general yeah, it goes on that goes up. on that Twitter 
that guy yep. on Twitter. Yeah, we've seen people posting <laughs> posting our labels like months before the beer is even ready or brewed, or and it's just like, how the heck did they find this? And um, sometimes it ruins some really cool surprises, which which things. Mm. But yeah, uh, um, you know that is technically public notice, so um, you know it's it's out there, and and that sort of gets the clock ticking on you know when somebody could come out after you if you want. Um, uh, so it's it's part of the balancing game you know once something's approved you're getting production a brewery like us that does shrink wrap cans you know, you know we're we're fifteen hundred dollars deep on a beer before it's even in in our mash tun so mm. um you know it's you have to you have to think about that too when you're doing this stuff is that you know if that letter comes if that phone call comes how much are you going to lose financially uh, if somebody decides that they do have a, a problem with it. When you being a small brewer, are you like monthly or every couple of months, like scrolling untapped or Googling your names that you have trademarks on to see if anyone else is using them? And if they are, let's say there's a brewery in California or wherever um, that's using one of your names, how do you go about, you know, do you call, call them? Are you sending them a letter? Are you having a lawyer reach out to them? How How do you protect what you own? Well, I think Untapped is the devil, and I don't support it, and uh, uh, so I don't go on Untapped to look. But um, you know, no, I, I think generally speaking, we kind of, and I think honestly, a lot of breweries um, would say this sort of thing. Uh, whether you're big or small, it's sort of like a, I don't know if this is the right phrase to use, but sort of like a not in my backyard kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, like, hey, you know what? There's I don't know how many thousands of breweries in America right now or the world right now. And everyone's producing, I don't know how many beers, like the odds of being perfectly creative uh, and not stepping on somebody's toes, I would have to imagine is, is goddamn near impossible, you know? So um, when I think I have something super clever, uh, I'll Google it, you know, like I'll Google, um, I, I don't know, philosopher rapper beer and see if anything pops up. But if nothing pops up on the first page of Google, I tend to feel like it's okay. Um, I also generally have like a never touch anything close to a New York or New Jersey brewery policy. Like uh, if I know of a New Jersey brewery that's even made a reference um, that I'm thinking of leaning into, I won't touch it or I won't do it without reaching out to them first. or even if, and, and the same kind of goes with like, we do a lot of stuff with bands. If, if a band reaches out to us or a venue reaches out to us and says, hey, so-and-so is playing here. Um, you want to make a beer for them. I would never, and that's just my philosophy, I think. Um, I don't want to step on anybody's toes. I still think brewing is, and again, this is probably naive of me, but I still think of the craft beer industry as the sisterhood and brotherhood that it was when I got into it. 15 years ago and so i never want to do something purposefully that would step on any of my sisters or brothers toes in this industry Mm -hmm. um, i do try and research it to the best of my possibilities but um you know i think it was like matt when magic hat had that issue with the number nine and the number six a few Mm -hmm. years back that's kind of how it got settled if if i remember correctly it kind of got settled like hey you know like we're never going to distribute our beer anywhere you distribute your beer. So like, let's just chill back we, out. Yeah, we yeah. cool. 
<laughs> exactly, exactly. But they did that with <laughs> lawyers and lots of media. And the media, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. We uh, do it through like Instagram or maybe an email if somebody really pisses us off. Um, so conversely, what do you do when you receive a cease and desist? And, and particularly, I know that, um, you know, some of your labels maybe touch up not on other breweries, but on, you know, popular, well-known brands. And I can, I can imagine that some of these large corporations are not really interested in hearing about how sorry you <laughs> are. Uh, uh, and you know, they're more, they're more interested in paying high priced lawyers to squash you or whatever. It's like, what do you? What do you do in those? I frame them and I hang them up in my house. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually, I do literally have the first one that I received framed in my house next to the meme that got me it. Um, wow. Because I just think it's, it's hilarious. Um, we've received two. We've received two oh. cease and desists sort of throughout the, the years. Like I said, the first one was a picture, uh, literally a picture of a meme on a different brewery wall that was on our, our blog. And, um, you know, they called me and I was like, I mean, A, I don't have anything. I didn't, we didn't even have a bank account at the time. We literally just had the blog. I was like, listen, man, you know, how do I make this right? But I'm not trying to piss you off. I'm not trying to steal your intellectual property. Um, I don't make enough money off of this to make this a big problem for either of us. Um, and and while these big brands are, are happy to pay high price lawyers to bully us around or yell at us or correct us, um they've got far bigger things to worry about than than us and so hmm. it's cooperation you know like get, we get it right like we we know if we're making that reference that i would have to think that there's always the chance you know there there is definitely always the chance that you get that letter you get that phone call you get that email um more recently we received one from uh a sports team uh i think i can say it because nobody really oh yeah that, much. That, was, um, that was a good we, one yeah we we <laughs> um well i don't know if you're thinking about the one we actually got in trouble for because we do oh. a lot of sports references oh um, i didn't know that so i know only of one we were, i i think we oh, should leave it as a teaser do do not say the ooh. name because oh, then yeah. people have to look it up <laughs> yeah okay um so keep we talking. made i'm trying now i'm gonna try and pick my words very carefully yeah. here um hint at we it we are very big we're very, very involved in all the sports scenes around us as best we possibly can be. Um, we were one of the, the first uh, breweries in this particular arena. We themed a beer towards the sport because we, uh, you know, the, the, the team didn't necessarily want any sort of contract. They, they weren't even willing to negotiate any sort of sponsorship agreement at the time or, you know, official craft brewery of the team at the time. Um, but our beer was in there. Our beer was doing great for several years. It got to the point where um, this particular arena even ended up having a, a um, New Jersey beer garden for a few years. And we, because of the success of our beer in there, um, ended up having a whole concession stand dedicated to New Jersey craft beer. It was absolutely amazing. And um, this particular team put out a, a New Jersey for the season and mm -hmm. the uh, and instead of saying New Jersey on it or having the typical logos or whatever on there, um, the the jerseys just said Jersey on it. And uh, and so immediately this this new uniform was soliciting a huge social media um, feedback and, and response. And, you know, people were putting cup on writing cup on a cup or pants on pants and 
So we really quickly <laughs> mocked up a beer can that just said beer on the beer can. And uh, it, it kind of went viral. And we we looked at it and we talked to our lawyers about it. And we all felt like it was fine to do. And so we we just put it on like 100 cans. And um, the team did not appreciate us joining in on the fun. And pretty oh. quickly uh, found my cell phone number and informed me that they did not appreciate it. Uh, and that arena no longer carries my beer, which is kind of sad. Oh, but, that is sad. Uh, do you think there's a link there? I do. Oh. Uh, you know, like I, I can't prove it, but, um, you know, I, it seems very coincidental that they still carry New Jersey beer, uh, but, but not, not yours, but not ours. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we knew the numbers we were, we knew how frequently we were delivering and the volume and we knew how, how frequently our friends were delivering and kind of their volume. So we know it wasn't a matter of our sales. Um, hmm. But See, I, you know what it is? It's like, I love being at a sports arena. And I love being able to get my beer, but also I know how much I sell them that beer for and then right. how much I buy it back for when I'm there as a fan. So, you know, <laughs> in the long run, it probably saves me more money than it ever made me. Cause you know, I've, I can't be seen drinking a bat at a hockey game when my beer's there so you know i gotta uh, you know it's a it's a double-edged sword i I find this interesting because in that case i would argue i as a non-trademark lawyer you know but lawyer but um i would um i would argue you weren't even really all that close to the line on that one and so you can sometimes get a c and d from you know not a reasonable party so um I yeah find that i think it was a lot of bullying they bullied a lot of people um and i've let them know i feel like they bullied us uh i've also tried to revisit the table with them and talk about it you know like once some time passed but um i think deep down that one was more seated in they realized the marketing opportunity that they missed and they have you know very expensive lawyers but they also have very well-paid marketing people and advertising people and creative people and um you know i think they uh i'll leave it at this we looked into season desisting that team a couple months ago because okay. they they i think they came more close to infringe upon the label that we designed uh with another brewery um, oh. and I think we would have stood mm. a, a better chance but you know when you're talking about going up against the professional sports team like you said um, you know you're talking yeah. about going up as team or actually most of the time when you're talking about um, sports you're actually talking about going up against the league most of the time teams yes. uh, actually lease their intellectual property from the league so that it can survive a sale of the team um, Right. And, and so you know you're talking about us who you know makes a few hundred thousand dollars gross a year and nets a whole hell of a lot less than that versus uh you know a commissioner that makes 60 million dollars a year you know yeah. like it's uh unfortunately a, you have to pick your battles and that's one you're absolutely never going to win it doesn't matter how right you are and as a canadian i particularly dislike that commissioner so <laughs> I, I am right there with I, I don't think there's a commissioner i like to be to be honest oh that's true I mean, one commissioner's inaction probably led to us making a lot of money. So, you know, I can't, I can't really, you know, I can't hate on him that much. How many, how many beers do you make a year? 
like label, how many labels are in the works in a given year? We typically package twice a year. Um, okay. And I would say we put out like two new beers a month, maybe. Okay. Um, you know, what not is your, all of them yeah. are, not all of them are like heavy references to anything. Mm -hmm. Some of them are just wordplay or names that just come to mind. I have a whole like note file on my, my phone and it's, just, you know, you just wait for the beer to trigger with that. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, I would definitely be remiss if I don't also note that like jumping right to the parody isn't my first step. Um, I do everything I can on my end at our breweries and to reach out to whomever we are parodying. And I try and work with them, right? Like I hmm. can't necessarily afford the licensing rights to something. Um, and I would, I would say I can almost never afford the licensing rights to something. Um, some brands might not want to be associated with alcohol. Um, and I always respect that. I've never once in the history of our brewery when when a band or a person or a brand or um, whatever was like ah no we don't want that um you know gone forward with it um i think we have a history of cooperation even you know when we've received the cease and desists you know we always stop it you know we stop distribution of the beer uh, or we you know agree that like hey uh, sell what you got left and never do it again kind of thing like mm -hmm. i think that's important to have that um understanding or that history um, but what I like to do is reach out to these, these entities, um, uh, and say, Hey, like, we really want to do this. We think it's a fun idea. You know, we only get 60 to 90 cases of, of a beer. Um, you know, our margins are slim, but what we've seen and what we've heard is that a, our customers love it. And it creates that nostalgia effect where, whether it's a movie, whether it's a band, whether it's an album. Yeah, especially with the bands, we hear that their streaming numbers go up. Um, you know, it, it no. creates that, and we and we try and release it at a time where they have something important going on, or mm -hmm. um, whatever the case may be, so that they can also benefit from it. Um, you know, we we share our artwork with the bands, so if we're doing something with a band and we come up with a cool label, we give it to them and say, hey, you know, like make the T-shirts, sell the T-shirts, um, but. Uh, the other huge aspect of it is nine times out of 10, whenever we are parodying something, and I would dare say it's even closer to nine, 99 times out of 100, whenever we're parodying something, there's a charitable component to it. Oh. Um, oh, okay. So we always try and do it as a way that we're giving back to the community. Um, yes, we understand that, you know, making this relationship might help our sales. But to be honest with you, it's so minuscule uh, that it doesn't really make a difference. Um, we've done beers with bands and brands, and when they don't promote it, there's no boost to the sales whatsoever. Um, oh. And we, I would say 50% of the time we've made these actual collaboration bands or collaboration beers with brands or and and done the parody or, or done the parody with their permission. If they don't promote it, the, the impact on sales is... is absolutely minimal at best you 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 need them to embrace the association for it to actually really help you otherwise you're still just marketing to your same base it's it's still your mm -hmm. followers on instagram social media the liquor store the bar um mm -hmm. that that are seeing that reference because 
you need the extra exposure to actually make anything off of it. And a lot of times you're also just talking about the can artwork, right? And that's typically only a 50%, 25% of your yield of that beer. So like the impact is so, so minimal. But like I said, what we, we try and do is turn that on its head and say like, we're not trying to do that impact for us. Uh, you know, we're not trying to line our pockets with, with the couple hundred extra dollars that we might make by this association. Um, we want to take that money, that that impact, and we want to give it back to your cause. What is important to you that we can say, hey, you know, Departed Souls can't afford to buy the licensing rights uh, for, um, I don't know, the early November is a band we've worked with, for instance. Um, they, they were on tour last year. I was like, yeah, guys, we can't afford to, you know, pay you much, if anything. Um, you know, we can't even afford you to come pay acoustic at our at our brewery. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's like, but we have a crossover market that is your genre of music. You're going on tour right now. Let's make a beer together. What's important to you? And we raised about nine hundred dollars via the sales of that beer um, to to a child. Um, uh, I forget the name of the charity off the top of my head, but um, I think it was like the New Jersey Home Service, and it's basically um, a foster care kind of system um so we've done that uh we work with andrew mcmahon in the wilderness formerly of something corporate and we've done stuff for um adult or adolescent and pediatric cancer we've done the vfw uh we've we work with less than jake a lot um the van less than jake a lot and we do uh, waterway um we actually donated to the connecticut waterway foundation or something like oh, that last year for thank them. you um you know it's like we pick a cause that's important to them because at the end of the day you talk about a band with five members and maybe they each would get i don't know 50 dollars off of yeah. the profit <laughs> that we make off this beer but what can that charity do with 250 dollars? Mm -hmm. you know right. and that's honestly the way when we do these parodies now that's that's more so the way we we aim them so that we can give back to the community and and support everybody uh via these these you know, honestly, more at this point, they're collaborations than parodies. But, you know, we definitely still do the, yeah. the infringement adjacent. Is that what you, you called it? <laughs> IP theft adjacent. <laughs> I don't like um, the word theft. Can we drop that? Okay. All right. IP, <laughs> IP adjacent. Yeah. Um, what would be your dream collaboration or your dream parody uh, legally? Like, let's say... Um, you, well, you mentioned that you you talked to this professional sports franchise who declined to to uh, work with you. What what would be one where if they were on board, that would be like, that's your dream, your number one brand that yeah. you'd like to work with. I could go in so many different directions with that, Don. Um, you know, like I would love to be the official craft beer of any sports team. I'd love to be the official craft beer of any league. Uh, my my life before this was was that um honestly this week tomorrow um we're putting out a beer with drive-through records right like uh, mm -hmm. unless you're a, a person my age that grew up in the music scene that i did um that probably means nothing to you but um they were the record label that so many of the bands that i grew up listening to uh were were launched on um and so getting to do this beer was was 
pretty damn near a dream to me. Um, okay. And we've, we've already gotten to work with some absolutely amazing bands that like, you know, like I said, less than Jake, the early November, I think when I get my Spotify thing at the end of the year, telling me what I've listened to the most, I'm in like the top, you know, 0.1% of fans of those beers. But I've been <laughs> so, so fortunate, honestly, to work with some absolutely amazing people and brands so far. Um, so we work with some local restaurants too. Like, I, I don't want to like, shove that off like we work with Raz the pizza who's regularly voted the number one pizza in America you know like honey yeah. ramen um the bakery next to a Montclair bread company but I, I guess like a dream like might be remotely realistic kind of thing you know obviously I'd love to make a beer with the red hot chili peppers I'd love to make a beer with Kenny Chesney I've got a very diverse music gonna, background yeah. yes you do um, <laughs> Uh, I would love to make a beer with the Jackie Robinson Foundation. Uh-huh. Um, I think that would be a top three for me uh, as a baseball fan and a sports fan. I think we could do some really cool, um, something really cool for the Jackie Robinson Foundation if we work together. And um, I, I could foresee that becoming, you know, one of those cool national collaboration projects if they were ever interested. Um you know, I know making my Ninja Turtle beer official will never happen, um, but I've been blessed to be come sort of friends with all the people behind the scenes of the Ninja Turtles, and they know we make the beer now, so I'm pretty cool with that. They've kind of signed off on it without signing off on it, oh. um, so that's definitely a dream to me. Um, other musician that might be realistic, I would say the band Old Dominion, uh, country band Old Dominion. Um, when we were just starting out, they were also kind of just starting out. Uh, one of the first bars to carry our beer kind of made it uh, I, I helped bartend there um, from time to time and Old Dominion was playing there uh, it might have been like the second place that ever carried our beer and um, you know in their rider it was like they wanted some local beer in the green room so he let me be the uh, the beer in the green room for it and like we didn't even have cans i filled some growlers for it oh. <laughs> i think we were open for like two months and um they are the nicest guys in the world they're super talented they have blown up since then um you know they're they're selling out stadiums and arenas all over the world they're so talented super nice guys they give a lot back to the community uh i think like of my list of bands that i would love to make a beer with we don't have any country bands yet <laughs> so I, I'd have to say they would be my number one, like moderately realistic. Uh, I hope they listen to all about beer. This is uh, what I'm thinking. Yeah, this is yeah. yeah. Well, they're huge. They, I'm. It's, they're yeah, calling they're their agent right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would probably be my my dream scenario at, at this point, like shooting for the moon. Yeah, scenario. You could make a red hot chili peppers beer with red hot chili peppers in it. Absolutely. We made, we made a beer with John and, Hall with peppers in it. We can do it for them. And you could put fleas in it. Just no, no. That would probably <laughs> not sell well. Too far, Don. Too far. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people have done chili pepper references, and I don't think any of them have gotten cease and desist. You know, like, everyone right. understands it's it's fun. You know, it's it's fun. Nobody's nobody's making a killing off of it. We're just, you know, we're, we're, we're just trying to make a living, too. And we're a lot of brewers have been when you get so far into it, like when you get so far removed from being the home brewer or, you know, the slower days of when you first start and it becomes really running a business. 
having employees and paying these taxes and insurance and everything else, you know, fighting legislation like we are here in New Jersey, like sometimes it gets really, really hard to find the the fun in it, honestly, to find the, um, you know, like to remind you when you did it, when you were a homebrewer, you didn't have to worry about any of this shit. And so like every once in a while, these parody ideas come to you and it like, you know, it puts a little, little, little smile on your face and gives you, uh the warm and fuzzies and then when you see your fans getting excited about it it's like it reminds you of why you do what you do and um you know especially for us when we can try to tie the charity component to it it's like for me honestly it's what keeps me going you know it's it's the charity stuff and and these collaborations that um you know they're definitely what make me the most excited to come to this brewery every day still and you know, like I said, I hate on tap, uh, but like it's what helps you put up with some of the bullshit you get as a small business owner, whether that's a Google or a Yelp review or, you know, people people knocking you when you're down or you come into a broken water pipe or a manway gasket, you know, like the the little bit of joy we get from being able to do these parodies, like that's that's pretty huge, like mental boost to us, mm. I think. And I think I, I think a lot of brewers would tell you that is like when when we get these crossovers and when they hit, it's uh you know, it reminds me of why we do what we do. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for all your insights. Uh, this was really fascinating and we really appreciate uh, your time today. Um, well, I appreciate and I, you guys having me. Of, of course. Uh, one more thing before we go. Uh, how can people reach out to you, find out about the brewery, social media, website, stuff like that? Sure. We're at Departed Souls, S-O-L-E-S. Um, on Twitter, on Instagram, on threads, on, I don't remember what the other social medias are anymore. There's so many of them, uh, departed souls (laughs) brewery on Facebook, um, departed souls.com. Or if you're feeling extra frisky, just jerseycity.beer is our, uh, our website and you can find us there. And I'm, I'm pretty much the guy that reads everything. So you can find me there and and yell at me for copying your uh, trademarks. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Brian. Uh, yeah. yeah, thank you so much, Brian. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Estrella Galicia is an independent family-owned brewery in Northwest Spain, founded in 1906. Estrella Galicia Cerveza Especial is a world-class lager, brewed using the finest Spanish malts, locally cultivated Galician hops, and the best brewing practices made out of the state-of-the-art facility in Acruña. Recognized around the world for quality and exceptional character, Estrella Galicia is a beer like no other. To learn more about Estrella Galicia, follow them at Estrella Galicia USA on Instagram. All About Beer is back, and we're asking for your support to help provide the independent beer media this rich and colorful industry deserves. Visit our website, allaboutbeer.com, where we're frequently posting new content. And please consider throwing us a few bucks at patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. We have low-cost memberships for individuals and small and large companies alike. Every dollar goes to help produce new articles and podcasts. Looking for an easy hop sourcing experience? Yakima Valley Hops offers the finest quality hops from right here in our valley and premium growing regions around the world. Get the hops you need when you need them with ultra-fast shipping and awesome customer service. With a full line of liquid hop products and all your favorite varieties, no contracts are needed to brew with the best. Shop now at yakimavalleyhops.com. That's Y-A-K-I-M-A, valleyhops.com. Bill Kovaletsky has played a pivotal creative role in leading the overall growth strategy of Victory Brewing Company. 
He serves as creative muse and guide for Victory Beer Brands and culinary collaborations, as well as the driving force behind community engagement. Kovaleski and Victory co-founder Ron Barche serve as brewmasters, providing strategic guidance in the development of new beer brands. In February of 2016, Kovaleski and Barche joined Finn and Sarah Demink, founders of Lakewood, New York-based Southern Tier Brewing Company, as Artisanal Brewing Ventures, a partnership platform for like-minded brewers to continue to innovate and grow. With the addition of Brooklyn, New York-based Six Point Brewing in 2018 and Bold Rock Ciders in 2019. Prior to co-founding Victory, he earned a degree from the prestigious Domitz Institute of Munich, Germany, having completed their international course in brewing studies after an invaluable five-year apprenticeship under German-trained Dutch brewmaster Theo de Groen. Before pursuing his craft beer dreams, Bill labored as an art director after earning his BFA from Temple University's Tyler School of Art. Welcome to the show, Bill. Hey, glad to be here, Em. So you Victory has been around for, and I say that, and I mean this as a, like a, a compliment and not like a you're old kind of thing. Um, You've but you been, been around, around the block? Is that yeah, what you're you, going to say? <laughs> I didn't say that. You did. Um but you've been around for a longish, longish time. Uh, and so you and you've had classic brands like Prima Pills. Um, how do you protect, you know, these kind of American classics? Yeah, you know, I think that when we were very, very young and we were dreaming up our names and building our brands, we didn't actually um, protect the IP because there were less breweries and we didn't necessarily think that... Um, you know, it was something we needed to protect it. And then I kind of think about, you know, uh, Bob Dylan's reflection, when you got nothing, you got nothing to lose. Well, you know, as you start to succeed, then you actually have something. And that is something you can lose. And the equity you build in a brand needs to be protected by a trademark, um, or it can be weakened by someone who does something similar. And yeah, what was it like in the early days, too? So like, you come up with stuff, you know, were you doing all the TTB filing yourself? Oh, when did you, yeah. know, did you have a beverage lawyer? Like, what was it like back then? Because, I mean, you know, yeah, I think we, a, a lot of people don't know that, like, man, there's a lot of law talking stuff that has to go into running a brewery. Yeah, great question. You know, um, after we incorporated and utilized legal uh, work for the necessities, we kind of tried to do our very best to avoid any of those bills. Um, probably, you know, uh, not the wisest idea, but we did the TTB filings, we did the um, registrations, brand registrations, all in-house um, on our own, and um, we were on top of it all. And uh, somewhere along the way, I became convinced that we should also start uh, filing for trademarks on the brands that we had built. And so we did all of that on our own uh, for a mm -hmm. while. But we got to a point probably around 2009, 10, when we did have a trademark firm working for us um, on retainer. Uh, and, you know, the other important thing about having a firm working with you is um, the watch, the ability to look out over the horizon and see what marks might be competitive uh, to yours that are being registered so that you can counter them if need be. 
I think that the visibility aspect is something that you can't really um, manage yourself in house, or at least we did not. Mm. So like how close is I Don actually just wrote this question down. I love it. Like how close is too close. If you're looking out and you see someone that makes a, like you've Prima pills, they make a primary pills, you know, or like what's, how do when do you start getting involved? When do you think that it like inflicts on the trademark? Is it like the law team, the legal team? That's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Do they flag it? Are they like scrolling through untamped monthly? Like how's, how is, how yeah, is so, the, like, how's the watchdog happen? Yeah. So the watch service is one where the, um, the law firm will actually scan the results and flag things for our attention that they feel may be in conflict. Um, you know, for instance, we we thought that there was a conflict with our golden monkey and a registration or attempted registration for something called brass monkey many, many years ago. Mm. So we took action on that one. Yeah, there's so much. There's just so much like great how. Yeah, it's very gray. It's, it's right? a lot of gray. Yeah. Well, and the, the way we reached that decision was, you know, it wasn't it. Gold is a metal. Brass yeah. is a metal. Right. So yeah. it's like you got monkey and you got two mm -hmm. metals. Like, yeah, I'm sorry. That landed too close. Yeah, mm -hmm. of course. And you have to again, you have to protect what, you know, what you have because you work. Everyone works so hard as I, I guess I keep thinking about I've my company is trademarked mm -hmm. um, and I work really hard to make sure that like pints and panels, you know, people don't cut the trademark stuff off my work, which that happens so much. <laughs> it drives me nuts. Um, so like, they, I like can they imagine, put effort into it. That's this, that's a shocking like you, thing. Why did you chop it off? Why did you chop off the name of the artist and the copyright? Yeah. Like, that's just like, that's oh my theft. gosh. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't know. Anyway, we're yes. not here to talk about yes. pints and panels. <laughs> we're here to talk about victory. Um, well, but yeah, go ahead. You just made a great point that our audience probably isn't aware of, and that is that it is the obligation of the trademark holder to um, to protect their trademark. So the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office may not see a conflict and allow, like using an example we just had, uh, Brass Monkey to be registered. Um, that dilutes the value of a Golden Monkey trademark on the long term. And so it's... Um, it's up to the brewery to make that protection when USPTO doesn't. Um, so it's not really being aggressive. It's being protective because as the value, uh, as, as the um, trademark becomes weakened by usages closer and closer to it, that's value loss that can't be re regained. What would yeah, you say to somebody who says, Oh, come on, a, a brass monkey is totally different. Nobody would, nobody would confuse that. What, what is your response to that? Yeah, I mean, we're talking about a very specific one, but I, I guess I'll fall back on what I had just said, Don, and that is like, okay, monkey is common between the two, and we're both talking about metals. So these things are virtually identical. And, you know, um, it'd be very easy for consumer confusion because it's like, oh, well, this company has a monkey that's golden. This right. must be theirs as well because it's a mm. brass version of it, right? <laughs> and and now because the like golden monkey has sour monkey it's a it's a brand extension right. for you that's guys. what i was just about to ask yeah yeah, yeah. It's a brand. Uh, and so yeah. it makes sense that you would have and you i mean you didn't know that you would have a brand extension for that back then but still right. you yeah you have to look into the future yeah and so you know another thing that comes to mind here is that um 
you know, we talk, we're talking about conflicts right now when two parties think that they, you know, um, can either get along or they don't think they can get along. But the bottom line is not about the people who are registering the trademark. The bottom line is about the consumer and the possibility of confusion. That's why the Patent and Trade Office exists. They don't want companies to confuse uh, the public with items that are dissimilar, but but maybe viewed as the same. So, you know, it's often trademark conflicts are looked at as two combatants, but it's not about them. It's about the audience that we don't want confused. Yeah. When people are drinking your beer, they want you want to make sure that they're getting an artisanal brewing venture beer instead of some kind of, you know, like the knockoff version yeah. of it which would be right. you know like i mean well, brass is not as valuable as gold like we all that is, know that, that right? is so. very true very true don um <laughs> so what happens when like let's say you're the law team the legal team scrolling through and there's a prima pilsner at a brewery in i don't know like portland oregon mm -hmm. um which I, I have no idea i'm just making that up um, what's what what's the protocol there? Like, how do you make sure you're protecting the names of your products? The process, I guess. Yeah, the process. Yeah. yeah. So we as the client and the and the legal consultant, you know, agree that this is something that does conflict and we want to uh, take action. Um, what I'll do is in the past and now it's actually just with legal um, to, to do this. Um, I will make the call to the brewery and explain to them that we see a conflict in this. Um, generally, their first response is, oh, I don't see that. And, you know, you, you talk through that, you get past that and convince them that you really do see one. And then I think the next stage of denial for a lot of people is like, oh, come on, man, can't we just like, can't we just agree on this one? And then you educate them about how um my mark would become weakened if theirs was able to be registered. And then really sort of the, the, the way to close this or, or get to the point is um, I would say, listen, you know, our legal team says yours can exist um, unless we find some coexistence that limits you geographically, what, whatever. Um, and so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you in contact with my legal team. I'm paying this bill. You're going to learn a little bit about trademarks here. Um, and that's what I'm going to be able to give you. I'm probably not going to give you the satisfaction of, you know, having this trademark too close to mine that you want, but you're going to learn a little bit, which is going to be valuable to you going forward. Yeah. Cause again, there's just the, the legal act. people are like, it'll running a brewery is fun. <laughs> <laughs> And it, it is. is, but it's also like a, a business that, in, and, you know, the government gets involved, legal, all that stuff. And, you know, beer can be a lot of fun, but there's also a lot of rules. And as someone who loves rules, um, I love rules. Um, I always am really fascinated by the kind of nitty gritty beverage, like law aspect of brewing, because it's, in, it's so important, mm -hmm. like unbelievably important. I actually really, you know, I, I love the trademark aspect of it because I learned a lot from our counsel about what, you know, um, what would constitute a conflict um, and what wouldn't. And, you know, there's geographic limitations um, where products are sold as well. If your markets don't overlap, um, you know, all alcohol products are basically seen as having the same distribution channel. So realistically, a Prima pills and a a prima Chardonnay would could be mm -hmm. argued to be, you know, mm -hmm. in conflict. Right. 
That's true. What about another country? So like. So um, I learned a lot there as well. Uh, Most of the few export countries that we sold to were a part of what is called the Madrid Protocol. It is a collection of, I believe, 38 countries who have agreed to um, have common trademark registration um, rules. And so you can register in the U.S., obviously for U.S. protection. And then we also registered some of our key brands in the EU under the Madrid Protocol. That's fascinating. That is fascinating. I just I never like think about other countries because I always think about like it's just America because that's my insular American view, uh, like every other American. Um, And I don't ever think about because you guys distribute in the UK and other places, correct? Yes, um, we do. And and the export is not as robust, of course, as it used to be. Um, And that's kind of cool because each country we've, you know, not we just American brewers, but craft brewing in general has really caused brewing to be ignited across the globe. And it's cool to see all the startups. But yeah, we have Golden Monkey trademarked in um, Korea and China Mm -hmm. as well. It's kind of cool to see these certificates for, (laughs) because if if you have a brand that is popular and exported, um, you're usually most vulnerable abroad, right? Because you're out of the, you know, you're, out of the reach of someone. There's some terrible stories about how brands have been um, taken for a run in China, uh, where basically all their IP is essentially borrowed and emblazoned on pubs, and everybody thinks it's that company operating there. Uh, That was very kind of you to use the word borrowed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just wanted to ask if if you've ever had issues with um, non-beer use of your trademarks like if somebody's running around trying to sell golden monkey uh t-shirts and i, I don't mean that the, the phrase but like maybe uh-huh. your actual logo and everything have you ever had that come up um you bring up yeah you bring up a great point don uh a buddy of mine so uh sent me pictures of some really nicely designed victory t-shirts that we never produced um on you know down in ocean city maryland on the boardwalk so um yeah definitely there have been times when um your images have inspired people to uh try and cash in on you Um, i actually i have a i have a personal question so as people know i am an artist and i have Victory Premium Pills art that I've drawn of your mm. can, and I sell it on my website as a print or a poster. Yeah. How, like, what's, and I've talked to people about this, about like, this is homage. Should I be getting approval? Yeah. Because I am making money off your trademark. And so, like, how do you, how do you feel about that? And if you say, like, I should take it down, I will. <laughs> but, <laughs> Well, hey, it's not just because we're friends having a great conversation here. But no, I, I feel that if you're inspired by something that we put out there in front of you and you create mm-hmm. art around it, that's fine. That's great, okay. right? I mean, I I don't know what the legal uh, constraints are, but you know, towards copyright, because you know, there's a certain percentage that the image has been altered, let's say, by the artist, yeah. and then right. it's then it's like fair game, right? You're mm-hmm. you're interpreting my thing you're not simply you know reposting my thing yeah no i'm not like i didn't you know like sell victory cans like on my yeah i just it's always something that i think of because that makes a lot of sense for 
label mm -hmm. art you know you you know you have an artist and you hire someone to do label art and then or people are you are inspired by you know monet or other artists or other things and it's i always just find it very fascinating how you know we all kind of coexist in this world where everything is a lot of the images we see are owned by other people and then how do you re you know shape and use them actually that's a good question how like when you do a brand refresh mm -hmm. how does that you know because the prima logo looks different than it used to i mean do you everything just has to be does that have to go through the ttb again and actually while i'm thinking about it um, for people who don't know what the TTB is, the Tax and Trade Bureau, can you explain how a large regional like your brewery would go about creating a label design? And I just asked you like 80 questions in a row, didn't I? <laughs> you, you did. <laughs> uh, that's journalistic vomit in my lap. But Sorry. I, that. I, was, um, I, I started thinking and I couldn't stop. No, perfect. Um, so I used to be the sole graphic designer for Victory from our inception to 2009, when we hired our first graphic designer. And now as Artisanal Brewing Ventures, we have a design team situated in Downingtown, our original brewery, um, and they report to the brand team, um, which is marketing, of course. And uh, so that the process begins there with the ideation of the name and then how the name is best visually described in a way that is going to sort of capture and glorify the attributes of the product. Um, so that's broadly the process of it. And yes, we do have a compliance department that works hand in hand with um, marketing and brand, and they will then take the label to um, the TTB Tax and Trade Bureau for the COLA Certificate of Label Approval, which um, demonstrates to the TTB that you have your government warning at the proper size, that you have the product designation, whether it's ale or beer and such, you have the liquid ounces to the right size and designation. So those are the kind of things that the TTB is looking for. But the TTB will also scrutinize um, misleading information. They essentially, it's kind of funny. What we have found is they don't want the public to be attracted to your alcoholic beverage, right? Anytime you talk about refreshing or um, you know satisfying, those are kind of those are alert words for the TTB. Um, mm. They don't want people to really enjoy the experience. I guess they go back to the notion that alcohol is not good for people. So you have to be sort of straight with that. Um, and that was only answering one of your questions. So that <laughs> That's all right. I don't, even I don't even remember what I asked, to be honest. <laughs> TTB <laughs> approval process. So that, yes, uh, I know. I know. I know yeah. I asked that. Um, and then I have no, I have no memory of what I asked before, which is. Well, that's... you also asked about, or, or <laughs> you asked about brand refresh and you pointed oh, yeah. out. That oh, that's true. See, there we go. All right. Thank God Bill is paying attention. Yeah. Um, Welcome to being refreshes. our new host, Bill. <laughs> brand refreshes are actually very important because even if the product doesn't change, sometimes if sales start to lag a little bit, you want the consumer to be like, uh, pleasantly shocked or, mm. you know, reminded that they love this beer. And sometimes you just need to do that visually. So um, brand refreshes on a visual level are something that is um, considered like good caretaking of, of a brand from our perspective. Uh, so in strange ways, you can often use a brand refresh to 
point back to the origins of a beer because the original Prima labels never said anything about its origins in 1996, but now it does. So we mm. can now sort of claim that like, hey, this is mm. this brand's been around. There's real heritage to this brand. Just so, as refreshing as in 1996. I'm just mm -hmm. kidding. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So refreshing the look is, um, like I said, sort of good maintenance for a brand's health. You guys just did a brand refresh recently, correct? Um, of a specific. A no, because like I just everything looks very. You you do a very good job, and I'm not just saying that because we're chatting right now. Is the victory refresh to me is very cohesive. Um, yeah, and, and I really really enjoy. I I get distracted when I go to a bar or a like a liquor store or a beer store and I like see labels that are beautiful and I'm like, who made this? I don't know. Um, and I find large regionals don't have that problem because you want everything to be cohesive. Yes. Um, and I, I really like the new, and it was like a couple years ago, maybe. Yeah. 2017, we sort of did the, the brand refresh where we codified certain things and um, made the label format and the case formats um, a little bit more rigid for a good reason so that all the information would be in a proper hierarchy and it would be seen in the same place and the logos would be seen in the same place. Um, I didn't like too much structure as a graphic designer. I was a little bit mm. more of a free spirit. So if you go back to the older victory stuff, it, it you know, uh, it probably wasn't quite as cohesive as it is now. And I, you know, it's good being cohesive. Everybody knows what we look like on the shelf and that's important. Mm -hmm. Dirt Wolf just got a refresh and oh, nice. the Dirt Wolf image now is um, almost like Japanese tattoo art. I, I, I think of it as Bobby did a really nice job with the label and, um, Dirt Wolf was the very last label I did myself. I guess that would have been like 2013. And um, then it went through two other iterations that I didn't think were necessarily as strong. And then I mm -hmm. think Bobby knocked it out of the park with this latest one. Um, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. How yeah, does it, yeah, how does being an artist, because you're an artist, I'm an artist, we'll just pretend Don, Don, Don's an artist in a way. Uh, pun, you're a pun artist. Yeah, sure, okay. Yes. Um, how does being an artist and having an eye for that make you a good like brewery owner? Oh, I like that question. Oh, yeah. Well, um, I think it was very important in our formative days because, you know, Ron had different skills than I and we had known each other since we were 10 years old. So we knew how to complement one another, mm. right, with our skill sets. So um, he would he could be critical of the things I put in front of him in terms of our designs, logos and so forth. And I could take that criticism. But at the end of the day, he would respect my ex expertise on the matter. And then that was a task he didn't have to mess around with. Right. So, I mean, yeah. we, we did help one another stick to their lanes and um, not get uh, not find ourselves double teamed on on some works. But um, I think it's. It's an area where I still have a fair amount of input with our company as well, um, helping guide the brand team. And um, now it's sort of like reminding them of like, well, yeah, we tried that before and this is what happened. Or did you mm -hmm. consider this? So I'm I'm not really the dark cloud that shoots down ideas, but I'm often the one that brings up something that may have been uh, to date overlooked in the procedure. And it allows them to 
reset and and think about that new perspective I've offered. Um, do you find being an artist frames the way you think about beer? And I'm I'm thinking specifically like as an artist, you think about things like composition and and blocking, you know, visual blocking and all that. And does that influence the way you think about beer too, in terms of balance and where flavors emerge and all that sort of thing? I, I love the question, Don. Um, I think it's very insightful. And I, I think I do on a certain level, the, the elements of the beer and the balance like between malt and hops, and that will have some influence on how I would approach the label. But in all honesty, the name is actually the more important thing because the consumer oh. is anticipating a visual that supports the name. So the name needs to support the structure of the beer as you kind of just defined. And then the visual needs to support the name as well. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Because right. it's all about expectations, yeah. right? The name has to yeah. give them an expectation of the flavor. And then visually, you're, you're obligated to express that that name in a way that's, uh, that's cohesive. Hmm. I'm going to awesome. bring it back to, uh, I, I, I know yes. I want to keep talking about art. We'll have you on again. <laughs> And okay. we can talk about art because I did not know you were the art director. Um, I didn't know your art background until I read your bio. And I feel like I should have known that. I love that. Um, always nice to meet a fellow artist. Um, I wanted to talk about your legal team mm -hmm. and like, why is that, you know, lawyers, everyone like are lawyers are scary. Um, I'm so scary. Yeah. Don used to be or is a, or was a lawyer. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, Don's terrifying. But um, like how how is having a legal team help you and like what can really small breweries do, you know, on their own if they can't, you know, because beverage law is, is very expensive. Um, so how like, you know, how do startups or people who have smaller breweries handle do you have any tips or tricks for them being that you've been in this industry for? Yeah, again, right. I keep saying you're old and I don't mean that. You know what I mean? Oh, <laughs> I'm old enough. I'm old enough to know. Um. <laughs> Here's what I would say. I, again, you're right. Small breweries in the startup phase will look at legal costs probably as like, well, I just can't afford that. So I'm going to take some risks. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, risks can be costly. Um, oh, yeah. One of the things I would suggest is look into the benefits of your state brewers guild. Um, for instance, here in Pennsylvania, our brewers of Pennsylvania Trade Association, uh, we have quarterly calls with our um, chief counsel who know the ins and outs of liquor regs um, nationally, state level, a, a fair amount of employment law, a fair amount of trademark as well. And so on these monthly calls, it's populated by, you know, anybody in the guild who has questions that they want to express. And, uh, you know, an attorney can't give you full advice as to what to do, but you can mm -hmm. sort of air your question and see if it's going to need more work um, or not. And um, yeah, your state guilds really do look out for you and want you to comply and not lose on any of your risks. So I think that, you know, for most emerging brewers, look at the benefits of the state guild and see if there's some legal help there. Um and, you know, as I alluded to earlier, you know, when you got nothing, you got nothing to lose. Well, once mm -hmm. you do have a brand and it's selling on the shelf, then you got something to lose. You need to protect that brand. And mm -hmm. um, filing the trademark for the trademark is 
if I can do it, come on, I'm an artist, right? I have a BFA. <laughs> if I can fill out a form, anybody can fill out a form. <laughs> so I, I would encourage people to comply because yes. at the end of the day, when you're out of sync with the rules, uh, you're it's going to cost. And it's a cost a lot. Um, or can yeah. can cost a can lot. Cost a lot. I mean, the, you might be looking at a total forced brand refresh. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, when you have packaging inventory and someone else brings out the hammer, the trademark hammer on you and says, no, cease and desist right now. You don't you don't have any days to use up that stock. You're done. Um, that's <laughs> that's a sad day. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, social media these days, people get quite vocal and there's a lot mm. of yelling back and forth. Sometimes I think particularly around IP theft, you see it, you know, all the time. Um, yeah. Sometimes that's helpful. Sometimes it's not. What do, What do you wish the average consumer understood about IP and and breweries' obligations to protect their IP? That's a fantastic question, right? Because you know when you do have that third party um, making noise, it can distract from what the you know legally needs to be done. Um, I wish that the general public appreciated the fact that it is incumbent on the trademark owner to protect their trademark. Right. So um, if we allow someone to operate in beer with something very similar to ours, uh, we're both involving ourselves in a little bit of consumer um, deception, perhaps, or miscommunication. And that weakens um, the original applicant, our, our trademark, and also the, the next in line as well. So I wish that the public understood that the need for protection is there. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, that's Thanks. that's very important. Because yeah, everyone adds a lot of noise. Um, but you know, you've got to you make something and you've created something over you know many years. And yeah. it's your obligation to make sure that, you know, you're making the best beer possible with the best branding and the best art, and you're protecting it. You know, that's you have that obligation, like you said. So yeah, uh, yeah. Typically, the way we've seen, to Don's question, the way we've seen the public get involved is like, they'll take sides. They'll be like, right. oh, well, yeah. you know, um, why don't you let the little guy do this? You mm -hmm. you know, they're in Nebraska and and, and you're in um, Kansas. It's, it's yeah. you're not neighbors, exactly. Um, and then you explain that it's your legal protection to do so. And you have to also explain the fact that, okay, well, if we allow two of these things to exist, then somebody can start one in New Jersey as well. And then the one in California pops up. And like, mm -hmm. so there are no rules anymore when you share the mm. uh, property. Mm. That is true. And trademarks Not, are federal. Yeah. No. yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's no, I don't think there's any, there's no, is there in America any kind of thing you have to do to your labels in any certain state? Um, brand registration, right? In order oh, to yeah. properly, but, but brand registration doesn't look for any conflicts, right? So okay. when we register yeah. our brands in Pennsylvania, identical products could exist in beer and, and they're not going to report that. That's okay. not their job. Got it. Yeah. I didn't know if certain States had like, you had to put something on it. You know, I know that each state in America is just, there's so many different things going on. I didn't know if, uh, I've been out of the, working in the beer industry at a brewery for a while now, so I'm a little rusty when it comes to this. So I'm very thankful that you came here today to 
discuss, um, you know, IP trademark, all this stuff. Cause it's, it's, this is the podcast I've wanted to do for a really long time because it's the thing no one talks about unless it's like some big, you know, someone's going after someone else. And then unless like, somebody is throwing stones, you might even say, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you said it. I didn't, yes. yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. Uh, Don, did you have any other questions? No, that's my best joke. I'm out. Okay. That's a good one. <laughs> a really good one. You know, uh, I, I, yeah. something I'd, I'd like to add to this as well is, you of know, for, for any brewer who's maybe listening or anyone who's thinking about going professional and listening, if you have a some brand you want to bring to life and you know the name is somewhat similar to someone else, don't don't just just change right away. Don't go through the heartache of it. And it's heartache for, you know, for two breweries. Um, I, I get tired when somebody says, oh, I'd never searched for that. I mean, come on, let's face it. We search for everything anymore mm -hmm. um, to the ignorant. Uh, the ignorant excuse isn't one that really works. Yeah. It's very, have you tried Googling it? You know, if, yeah. <laughs> sure. If there's something that you're going to put your whole life's work into. Yeah. Um, a simple Google search is, you know, it takes or two untapped. seconds. I mean, it's all or, untapped. Oh, I, when I worked at the last brewery I worked at, or even the brewery I currently like work at part-time at Fox Farm, like they will, we will come up, all of us come up with the name and you just sit there and untapped and you look and you look and you look yeah. and you're just making sure that like, because you don't want to step on anyone's no. toes. no. No. Um, that's um, you know, even super small breweries, um, you know, you have to make sure that you're, you know, creating something new. And it's it's really difficult nowadays with the amount of breweries. That's actually you know, yeah, that's my how do you, that's my last question. With the amount of breweries, um, how is creation at um artisanal brewing ventures change? Like, are you guys how do you do it? You know, are you just doing the simple Google search or you know, hoping for the best. I don't, you know, how, how does it feel We're like actually it's actually leaning you? on? Yeah. Thank you. I did, sorry to cut you off. We actually oh, no, leaning on untapped really as much as Google because it's more immediate, right? It's specific mm -hmm. to beer. Um, but it begins with what we call a name storm where we just put it out there to um, a group, uh, not only, not always specific to just the, you know, the graphics and the marketing team. Sometimes we expand the group into other departments and um, we get a master list and we go through things we like and we search to make sure that they, uh, they don't exist. And oftentimes, you know, we get, we get bounced, right? There's a mm -hmm. great name and we're like, Oh, yep. Somebody's doing that already. So we, we have our fair share of letdowns in the creative process as well. It's nice to see you guys, yeah, larger guys have the same issue. Everybody's on the same playing field, you yeah. know, with coming up with IP, trademark, you know, we're all, doesn't matter how large you are or how, you know, how long you've been around. I mean, everyone's on the same, same level. There's only uh, so many hot puns. That's, yes, there are only so many hot <laughs> puns that you can, that's, thank you, Don. <laughs> hey, that's, you know what, this would be a perfect opportunity for, uh, Don, for you to pitch your, uh, your wordsmithing and, and your punsmanship here. You, anyone yeah. listening may want to hire you. Yes, that's Don true. at the dawnofbeer.com. Please email me. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bill, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Did you, um, where can people learn about uh, the brewery or if they want to reach out to you, uh, social media, website, all that stuff? 
Still the best source of information on the brewery is victorybeer.com. Mm-hmm. Um, I post to Instagram, um, not just on the brewery, but I'm, you know, at Bill Kovaleski. And don't spend as much time on Twitter, which I guess is X now. Uh, who knows? Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, I am Victory Bill, Victory underscore Bill on Twitter. Wonderful. Awesome. Great. Thank you so much for all your insights today. This has been really fascinating. To Great questions. That's, yes. That's how Aw, we get there. Aw, shucks. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, thank you for uh, thank you for coming on today. And uh, we really appreciate it. So very welcome. All right. Thank cheers. You, cheers. Brendan Palfreyman focuses on intellectual property matters, commercial litigation, and has significant experience efficiently and promptly reviewing corporate contracts. He has represented both plaintiffs and defendants in patent trademark, copyright, and trade dress infringement actions. He also prosecutes trademark and copyright applications in the United States and globally for a wide range of clients and industries. A major focus of uh, Brendan's practice is representing and counseling breweries, wineries, and distilleries with regard to everything from corporate formation and licensing to M&A and distribution contracts. He is an award-winning home brewer and one happy client he named a beer after him. Brendan has been quoted in various publications about legal issues facing the alcoholic beverage industry, including the Wall Street Journal, Chicago Tribune, and San Francisco Chronicle. He is a regular guest on industry podcasts such as Brewbound and Good Beer Hunting. And the All About Beer podcast. And the All About Beer podcast, which he will be on now. Welcome to the show, Brendan. Thanks for having me. So what is being a beverage lawyer or someone who specializes in beverage law? What is the day-to-day that you're doing? So a lot of it is the same types of things that any small business would need. Um, but there are you know, particular tweaks that you get into and specifically with the, the craft beer industry. Um, so a, a lot of my day is uh, probably evenly split between trademark issues and then distribution contract issues. Um, and, and mainly I trademark, I would say. But, you know, it also runs the gamut from um, corporate employment, M&A, if you're buying a brewery or, or being acquired by another brewery, um, immigration even. Um, yeah, it, it, it really is a full spectrum. And, and, would, and offshore would, tax it, yeah. planning oh. for all the billions that people are making. No. Just... <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, those that Cayman Islands brewery. The Cayman company. Island thing, yeah. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Wait, well, how does immigration, that I'm fascinated about, how does that deal with beverage law? Uh, it, it, just, just in that, to the extent of a brewery is looking to hire a foreign oh. national or get a green card for someone or anything or help or sponsor someone here's here in the U S from another country. Um, that, that's one of the things where it's no different than any other small business, but you know, it, it helps to have a, a full range of services you can offer to a brewery aside from just the very specific things like, you know, SLA, TTB compliance, licensing, trade practice, things like that. Uh, what's the one thing you wish people would understand about beverage law and IP theft, given the fact that when it does make the news, everyone has an opinion, uh, mm-hmm. be it for good or for bad. Um, mostly, <laughs> yeah. I I don't, everyone has an opinion. I don't, I mean, I'm not a lawyer. Don is, used to be, was a lawyer. I don't know. Can yeah. you still practice though? I don't like. Uh, I'm on what they call the non-practicing list. Oh, so. got it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think it's called still- a recovering lawyer. Exactly. 
I've been still recovering that for background. Um, <laughs> but yeah, what's like one thing you wish people like normal beverage, like beer drinkers would understand about what you do? Uh, two things, I guess. One, very superficial. Uh, I wish people knew the difference between trademark and copyright. So oftentimes I'll get a call from someone, hey, can I copyright this beer name or can I copyright this this logo for my brewery? Um, and even in articles in the news, you often see the words used interchangeably. Um, most of the time, what people are t- really talking about is trademark, which is names, logos, slogans, things like that, primarily. Copyright uh, really refers more to, generally speaking, works of art. So paintings, sculptures, novels, software. Um, so it, you can copyright beer labels if they're inventive enough, if like you know, if you're looking at a particularly beautiful beer label, you can get a copyright for that. But most of the time, what you're talking about is trademark. Um, and then the, the more substantive thing I wish people knew about, and it's certainly getting better than it, than it used to be, even, you know, three years ago, is um, the idea of trademark clearance. So taking the time to research a name before you just throw it out there um, and uh, finding out the hard way that someone else has a, has an issue with you using that name. Um, and then relatedly, um, just the idea that just because something in a different industry doesn't mean you can't use it. I mean, sorry, it doesn't mean you can use it. So, right. mm. you know, you just cause you, you can't name, uh, an IPA Chevrolet IPA just cause one's for cars. You know, Chevrolet is famous enough that it sort of blots out all trademark usage, um, anywhere else. You can't just call a beer teenage mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, you know, sour green ale or something like that. That's um, when you're st- when you're taking. I was about to say stealing, and I guess it is stealing. So <laughs> when you're stealing directly from um, well-known IP, it, it doesn't really matter um, whether it's in your field, in your industry, or not. It's it's going to cause a problem. Can I uh, ask a little bit? You mentioned about trademark clearance. Um, you know, for for breweries, other than like googling the name, it, should they be what else should they be doing to be safe? If there's a couple things that they should know. Yeah, there's a couple things to do. Um, one, one would be, you know, Google or untapped, um, seeing what else is out there, but don't take untapped, for example, as gospel, because a lot of those beers on there, like you could type any word into untapped and it'll come up. So you, you right. get discouraged pretty quick, but you know, there are home brews on untapped. There are foreign beers. There are, you know, archive or retired beers on there, none of which, or, you know, some of those could, you know, very well not be a legitimate reason for you to avoid a name. Um, But it can at least give you a sense of the scope. And if you see that, like, you know, Allagash or Great Lakes or Lagunitas or somebody is using a very similar name, that's one you certainly want to avoid because these are are big established companies with, you know, legal budgets. Um. The other thing you can do is uh, run a search on the federal government's trademark site. Uh, TESS is the acronym. I think it's the, the trademark electronic search, something else that starts with an S. <laughs> um, but if you just Google like trademark TESS, T-E-S-S, it'll pop right up. Um, and that's useful for finding out which marks are federally registered. And that's that's a great indicator of whether or not a mark is is clear for your use. Um, but then even then you want to be careful that, you know, you, if you, if you just do the general, you know, basic user search, you're going to get results for 
everything. So it could be software, could be mm. tires, could be carpets, could be dog walking services. Um, and depending on what that other good or service is, it, it may not be a bar at all because, you know, like Joe Schmo's dog walking service of Minneapolis isn't on the same level as Chevrolet. Right. Mm. Sounds complicated, like almost like people should hire a lawyer or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for the, for the really important ones, like if it's the name of your brewery, um, if it's your flagship IPA, probably it's a good idea to get it. And, but you can at least, you know, cut down on that work by of the, of the lawyer by doing some of the groundwork yourself and saying, right. well, these, these three are definitely taken or not, not going to work. And then you can go to your lawyer with the one or the two that you really like and say, Hey, can you, you know, run your own quick check on these just to be sure. What other things should they be doing besides that? Just for, per, you know, should they be making sure no one else is using it in the future once they get that trademark or, you know, what other things should they be doing to protect their brand? Because, you know, it's, it's important. Yeah. So, so once, once you've run the, the clearance, the, the search and it, and it looks okay, um, then you want to decide the next step is decide whether or not you want to seek a federal trademark registration for that mark. Um, and you know, you def definitely don't need to be federally registering every beer you're making. I, I usually say if it's simple as if you get in a cease and desist and there, and the solution is erasing a chalkboard, uh, you probably don't need a federal trademark registration for that beer name. Um, but if you have, you know, a thousand labels or sleeves printed up, or you have a hundred tap handles out in the market, or it's your flagship or it's your brewery name, those are the times when you want to think about getting a federal trademark registration. Um, there are state trademark registrations as well, oh. but they are only good in the individual states um, where you apply. And, you know, they're, they're going to be um, subservient to a, a federal registration. So you only, you only really go for a state trademark registration if the federal is unavailable. Oh, uh, so yeah, that, then that process takes a while, but what's important is getting it on, getting your application on file. Cause it's all, it's not all, but it's, it's a lot of it is about a race to the office. So you want right. to, get that application on file before somebody else does. Um, and they have these this process called an intent to use application um, that allows you to file these applications up to three years in advance of when you actually begin, start selling a beer under that name. <laughs> um, and then if you're lucky enough to, to get the federal trademark registration, then yeah, you it's incumbent upon you to protect it. Um, that doesn't mean you have to send out cease and desist or run a search every day. Um, but you want to keep an eye on the marketplace, uh, keep an eye on what other people are filing, especially federal trademarks. Um, and if something treads too close, uh, you, you want to try to nip that in the bud as soon as possible before the other party, you know, has invested substantial sums into the name or, you know, their distribution outpaces yours. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's especially in the, in the modern age of untapped. Um, whereas, you know, 20 years ago, if you're, you're making a beer in New York, someone's making a beer in California, they're never going to cross paths. But here, now, you just type the name into Untapped and you're crossing paths instantaneously. Mm. That's a really good point. I actually didn't know about state uh, registrations because in Canada, we do not have provincial trademarks. It's mm. not a thing. So that's interesting. Um, yeah. What is the approximate cost of getting a federal trademark and how long does it take? Um, so the federal filing fee, I want to say right now is, I want to say it's 250 or 300, somewhere around that range is what the, the government charges if you're already using the mark. 
think you've already sold beer under that name. Okay. Um, and then the attorney side of it arranges. I mean, I, I can tell you like my, my quote for everything, including that federal filing fee is usually in like the thousand bucks to 1200 bucks range. Oh, um, so it's not an enormous investment, especially if you're talking about the name of your brewery or the name of your flagship beer. Um, because, you know, you ask someone what their most important piece of property is, and they're going to say it's the mash ton or some lagering tank or, or a lease or whatever it might be. But oftentimes it's the name of the brewery, because if that changes, you've lost a lot. And you have to you've spent a lot of money reeducating people and trying to keep the customers that you already had, um, especially yeah. those customers that are more casual, not your you know, your, your untapped maniacs, but people who just, you know, had your beer one time at a bar or at a grocery store and they go back to find it and oh, I can't find it anymore. Oh, well, let's try right. something else. Right. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. What can uh, breweries, they think they can do it themselves, but then they're setting themselves up for maybe some future problems. What can, um, when, when should a lawyer step in? Like what do, you, what do breweries think? Oh, I can do this myself. No problem. And then it, they shouldn't have. Yeah, there's so there's there's two classes. There's the the do-it-yourselfers, which most most uh, brewery owners are. So they'll they'll do it themselves, and sometimes they get it right, but most more often than not, they don't. Um, or they have Uncle Bob, who's a divorce attorney or a real estate attorney or something like. Oh, Uncle Bob can do it, um, and and Uncle Bob doesn't know how to do it either. Um, so so typically, especially in the formative stages of a craft brewery, you want to get the trademark lawyer involved as soon as possible, because really the first couple things you should be doing is, you know, on the, on the legal side, you know, after you've you know raised some money and whatever it might be, but are or even before then really is coming up with a name, clearing the, the brewery name, maybe a brewery logo um, and working on, I mean, yeah, I mean, really, when I talk to a new brewery, the, the trademark is really the first thing that you should do, the first thing you can do. Um, once that's in place, you know, because you're one of you talking to investors, talking to family and friends, like you need to have the name of the brewery to be able to do that uh, for the most part. Um, after that's in place, then you can worry about licensing and real estate and uh, capital raise and, and everything else. But I, I do recommend getting a trademark attorney involved very early. Um, and it's not... It, when you look at the the expenses, as far as you know, your your lease, um, startup time, equipment, manpower, ingredients, um, the trademark is going to be the by far the most most affordable and extremely cost effective thing that you're going to do among all those things. Um, just about the trademarks there, like I know some people, and again, I'm speaking as a former Canadian lawyer, and so the situation might be different in America, but I know that there are some people who think, oh, well, you know, filing for a trademark, there's a form and you, you know, you check off all these boxes of the, of the industries you want to protect the mark in. Um, and then they get the trademark, it's issued and they think, great, I did it. I'm successful. Uh, I saved myself a bunch of legal fees. But in fact, because they've like the, the, the issuance of the trademark actually doesn't mean it's actually defendable if they've been too broad in their industry categorization or or whatever it, can you maybe speak to, a bit to that or, or or am i completely out to lunch on that no no you're, you're right um you want to be careful about what goods and services you're protecting um the, the most basic one is going to be class 32 beer 
uh, that's that should absolutely be the, the first thing that you select. Um, and depending on what you're planning and offering and how you know expansive you're planning on being with those offerings, you might also consider protecting apparel. Um, so you know, the merch, the t-shirts and hats and things you're going to sell or and then beverage glassware is another common one. Um, also, if you're going to have a restaurant as part of the brewery, you often throw in um, class 43 restaurant and bar services. Um, but you know, most of the, most of the breweries I work with are very small and this is usually not something they've planned for in their budgeting. So, and, and each time you add one of these new classes, it adds a new filing fee that the government charges. Um, so that's another 250, another 250, another 250. So a lot of the time, a lot of the, most, I would say most of the trademarks I file, the vast majority are just class 32 beer. Um, so if you, if you get that far, you're, you're doing pretty well. Okay. And, um, while you were explaining that, I went on to Untapped, and there is no class thirty-two name for a beer, so it's available, people. Oh, I love <laughs> that! That is the nerdiest <laughs> thing I've ever. I mean, our legal, legal nerdy, nerdy thing I've ever heard. I love that. Well, actually, um, since we have Brendan here, there is a class three point two. Oh, Maybe it's an earthquake. So it's... Yeah, I don't know. Is that a 3. problem, Brendan? I don't. I don't know that one. Oh, actually, uh, sorry. It's a homebrew. So no problem. Oh, see, see, look, look at yeah. what I learned. This is awesome. There you go. Yeah. Uh, I Being have clear. one. Yeah, I have one more question for you is, do you have any thoughts on breweries that do IP theft labels? And what ha what are they setting themselves up for? Because I have I have an aversion to people who like, you know, just totally rip off stuff um, as an artist. So do you have any thoughts about breweries that are engaging in ip theft and the does the lawyer in you like seize up <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean I, I i don't like it it's uh it's lazy um and it's 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 kind of like the movie industry i guess now i mean not that they're engaging in ip thefts but you're just trying to get a leg up on the competition by trading in on the um you know the impact or the heft of someone else's ip uh, it's, it's much less about the liquid inside of the bottle than it is about the, you know, the drawing of Skittles you have on the front or whatever it might be. Um, and yep. actually we're seeing a ton of that. I do some cannabis work as well. And that's maybe an even bigger issue in the cannabis industry right now than it is in the craft beer industry. I didn't even think about that because of yeah, all the like, edibles and all that stuff. Oh my goodness. Yeah, for sure. And even strains like, yeah, people are, uh, every, People just trying to, it's mainly a nostalgia thing, which is, you know, why we're seeing Barbie movies and things like that. People just, I guess, gravitate towards all these things from the 80s and 90s of their childhood that they can now uh, imbibe. Hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Any other questions, John? I do not. Thank you, Brendan. Yeah, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate you getting into the legal aspects of it. It's it's something I wish customers and breweries knew uh, more about and took more seriously because, man, if you get on the wrong side, um, it's uh, not great. Agreed. No, thank, so, thank you guys for yeah. having me. This is great. I'm happy to come on anytime. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much. Uh, Brendan, can you share your social medias or anything that, uh, or if there's a newsletter you want people to sign up, whatever. Yes, thank you, Don. Uh, that's a great question, which involves me having to look up what my Twitter handle is. Oh, oh yeah, so it's just my uh, uh, 
at B underscore and then my last name, Palfreyman. Awesome. Twitter or X or whatever it is. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, anytime. Have a good one, guys. Yeah. Cheers, Brendan. Cheers. Well done. What did you learn today? Uh, I learned a lot of fun things, um, particularly uh, that I didn't know there was such a thing as state trademark until until today. So that's one thing. But um, yeah, threading the needle. How fun is that? It's I mean, there's so much the gray area. And then it just it makes me makes me really want to like extra protect what I've created and what I want other breweries to not, you know, looking at untapped is great. Looking, you mean Googling is great. But once you have something that you're really proud of as like a brand or a label, protect it at all costs for the love of God. <laughs> you know, you worked really hard to make a good product and to have some come along and snatch it from you. And then you being like, oh, it's not a big deal. It's a huge deal. Yeah. Um, I, I think customers and beer people don't realize how big of a deal it is. So protect what you make. And, you know? and, or, or, or reach out. Just, uh, you know say uh, this is what i want to do are you okay with it and then at least you know that it's a problem or not right yeah i mean the brewing industry is so collaborative that you want to make sure that if you're doing something where you're like oh i'm not so sure about this there's that brewery give them a call email them you know most people in the beer industry are very very friendly yeah. and um you know it doesn't hurt to ask and if you've got a really good idea and you don't know you know just just check and see that's that's the great thing about that's the thing I say every time we have this podcast. The great thing about beer is blank. And the great thing that I take away from this is, you know, protect what you make. And if you love something and you're not sure about it, you know, talk, talk about it with someone. Everyone in the beer industry should be friends. Yeah. I do want to um, pat myself on the back that every time somebody said IP, I didn't giggle. <laughs> now I'm giggling. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Visit the All About Beer. Uh, visit us. There we go at allaboutbeer.com and follow us on social media at allaboutbeer. Um, and again, if you're feeling generous, visit our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash allaboutbeer to support this show and others. If you've got questions for the experts, email podcast at allaboutbeer.com. That's also the email for feedback, suggestions, or to inquire about supporting the show through advertising. Speaking of advertising, here is a short word from our sponsor. Looking for an easy hop sourcing experience? Yakima Valley Hops offers the finest quality hops from right here in our valley and premium growing regions around the world. Get the hops you need when you need them with ultra-fast shipping and awesome customer service. With a full line of liquid hop products and all your favorite varieties, no contracts are needed to brew with the best. Shop now at yakimavalleyhops.com. That's Y-A-K-I-M-A, valleyhops.com. All About Beer is back, and we're asking for your support to help provide the independent beer media this rich and colorful industry deserves. Visit our website, allaboutbeer.com, where we're frequently posting new content. And please consider throwing us a few bucks at patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. We have low-cost memberships for individuals and small and large companies alike. Every dollar goes to help produce new articles and podcasts. Estrella Galicia is an independent family-owned brewery in Northwest Spain, founded in 1906. Estrella Galicia Cerveza Especial is a world-class lager, brewed using the finest Spanish malts, locally cultivated Galician hops, and the best brewing practices made out of the state-of-the-art facility in Acruña. Recognized around the world for quality and exceptional character, Estrella Galicia is a beer like no other. To learn more about Estrella Galicia, follow them at Estrella Galicia USA on Instagram.
Don, how can people reach out to you if they'd like to contact you? Uh, on social media, I am at the Dawn of Beer on Twitter, Threads, and Instagram. And people can drop me an email at dawn at the dawn of beer dot com. Uh, M, how about you? I am at Pints and Panels across all social media, and my website is www.pintsandpanels.com. This show is produced by All About Beer. Visit allaboutbeer.com for articles, notes on this show and others, and to connect via the newsletter and social media. Cheers, everyone. Cheers. Show me your five-star reviews. <laughs>